It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hey guys, and welcome to the first ever Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Tribby, and I've got Chris Wax here by my side to help us break down every angle of the Week 2 XFL slate. Chris, how are you doing today, bud? Doing great. I mean, breaking down some XFL football for Week 2 with the newly anointed Football Writer of the Year, Jake Tribby. Congratulations. Excited to be here with you. I, I really appreciate it, man. It was, it was certainly a surprise, and if I got to be honest, I have spent just an incredible amount of time over the last 18 or so hours just saying, you know, thankful and <laughs> thank you and, and how grateful I am. And yeah, it's really cool, totally unexpected. So was super happy to, to see that. But I mean, man, we've got we've got football tonight, which I just think is is so awesome. I mean, I, I love DFS. I love football. So I just think, you know, this rocks. I, I'm a huge fan of spring football and uh, I'm ready to get into these games, man. So first up tonight at 9 p.m., we have St. Louis Battlehawks at the Seattle Sea Dragons. The over-under here is 36 and a half. Seattle is favored by three and a half points. Um, you know, starting things off on the St. Louis side, AJ McCarron is certainly interesting. Um, the Battlehawks just didn't do anything uh, in the first, you know, maybe 90% of that game against San Antonio. But, you know, once they got into two-minute drill and really started, you know, just focusing on throwing the rock, McCarron actually looked really good. And he's, you know, I wrote it up in the article, uh, the, the week two XFL uh, tournament plays article, just saying like, Hey, he's clearly overpriced. He's probably going to be quarterback four, quarterback five in terms of ownership. You know, I think that there is a potential leverage opportunity there. He's pretty far from being my favorite quarterback play, but I, I think he's a little interesting. Do you have any, any thoughts on McCarron? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with what you said. He's yeah, he he comes off as like fine to me. Uh he doesn't yeah. project super well. Like you said he's a little bit overpriced, but this is also a week uh, as we can expect many of these weeks to be where salary isn't really an issue in terms of fitting guys in. Yeah. So he's definitely a guy you can get and he's probably the most of the quarterbacks, the top 3 or 4 or so are really clumped in ownership. Um so McCarron kind of looks like probably my favorite like just pure leverage play at qb um as a guy that you're gonna get you know 10 to 15 percent ownership and you know he he's got a ceiling to him um in general and you know maybe maybe this game shoots out a little bit and mccarran is a decent play yeah i think i think that's definitely another reason to like McCarron a little bit is that, you know, Seattle's going to throw 80% of the time. They could, they could definitely put some points up on the board and St. Louis, you know, they, they are underdogs. Um, so that could, that could definitely force them into more of a pass happy approach, but you know, we could, we could also just see the offensive incompetence that we saw for, yes. like I said, I mean, 95% of that game against San Antonio. So I certainly wouldn't go overboard with McCarron uh, moving down the uh, Battlehawks roster a little bit. I think Brian Hill is, a great play. I mean, he's yes. pretty clearly, I think, the second best running back play of the slate. He was their bell cow in the first quarter until he hurt his hamstring. He came back uh, near the tail end of the third quarter and was yet again the bell cow. He got almost every snap when they were uh, in their two-minute drill near the end of that game. So Brian Hill looks really nice, and there's no reason to be concerned about the hamstring injury because he did log a full practice 
uh, last I saw on the injury report. So I'm not sure if you have any more thoughts on the running back situation, but I think I think Hill's really great. Yeah, I think you pretty much cover. He he's my favorite running back play of the like pop more popular guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then these Battlehawks wide receivers, I I actually think are are pretty interesting because I don't think they're going to catch much ownership. I mean, you have Austin Prohl, who's you know, only 4,400, he's going to be the highest owned guy there. Darius Shepard and Marcel Aitman are both pretty talented outside wide receivers. And, you know, I, I wrote up Aitman as a, as a strong leverage play because he just, you know, he doesn't project well. He's very clearly overpriced, but because there's so much wide receiver value on the board, which, you know, we'll, we'll get to a little bit later, uh, he's a really easy guy to get up to. And I, I kind of think, you know, just based on watching the game and stuff, that, that St. Louis wants him to be their, their alpha, you know, down the field and, and in the red zone. They, I think they threw him an end zone fade that, that didn't quite get there. And, you know, they, they had some nice downfield throws his way. Um, so I really like Aitman as a leverage play because he might only be 5% owned. Yeah, Aitman, uh, he had more than double, he had, yeah, more than double the air yard share of any other receiver on the team. He had two red zone targets, one inside the 10. So he's definitely their preferred alpha receiver and and a good gpp play at that um he like we said that you're betting on an offense that really struggled last week though so he's not there's a reason that he's not going to be super popular yeah um but definitely is a guy that has a ceiling to him and and what makes him a good gpp play um yeah yeah that i mean the Aben mccarran stack like you can pretty much go all chalk otherwise and have like a yes. unique yeah. team um, yep. so that's that's definitely something i like yeah Austin Prohl, I do like a lot. He's actually, I don't know if you caught this on the, bro- they said it on the broadcast last week. He's the son of their wide receivers coach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so throw back to, to youth football, the dads uh, love playing their sons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah, you can't, I mean, you can't ask for much more in, in a spring football than than your son playing for you and you, you, know, you try to make sure he gets the ball. He's, he's exactly. basically their slot receiver, which we know is typically an easier place for receivers to line up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also getting some red zone. And he caught the three-point conversion, right, to give them the lead last and, week. And the game-winning touchdown. And yes, he and caught the, the he caught the fourth and fifteen because in the XFL you can go for a fourth and fifteen instead of an onside kick. So they, I mean, it may have just been coincidence, but in like three very you know clutch, high-leverage situations, they they went his way. So that may that may say something about how much they value him as a wide receiver. Yeah, I think he makes a ton of sense as a way to get out of that super cheap 3K wide receiver range and you pay up yeah. a little bit in that 4K range because you're going to you're most likely going to have the money to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think because a lot of those 3K guys are just such glaring values, you won't see Prol catch a ton yes. of ownership. He'll be he'll be kind of moderately popular, maybe 10, 12 percent, nothing crazy. Yep. Um, so unless you have any any other thoughts on the St. Louis side, I think I'm ready to move on to Seattle here. Yep, I'm good. All right. Um, so Seattle, I mean, you could not dream of a, a more high volume passing offense than Danucci with, I believe, 57 uh, dropbacks last week, which is just insane. It was 10 more than Brandon Silver's. I think almost 20 more, maybe 27 more than Drew Plitt. I mean, just just an insane amount of volume there. His his A dot wasn't very high. I mean, it seems like this. Seattle offense really wants to focus on like short area stuff to the slot. Um, but I mean, it, it really doesn't matter if Danucci's not even that good because the, the passing volume is just, it's just so incredible. Um, so Danucci is, 
you know, there's a there's a top tier of quarterback plays to me, and it's it's very clearly you know Danucci and then Brandon Silvers, who we will talk about a little bit later. Um, and I'm I'm going to play a lot of Danucci, and I think you know there's a lot of different ways that you can you can stack them. I think double stacks are are very in play. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, I might I might force in all double stacks with Danucci just based on the passing volume, because um, you know if he scores 25 drafting DraftKings points, I'd be shocked if he didn't bring at least two wide receivers along with him. So yeah, what are your thoughts on this Seattle passing attack? Yeah, I mean, he like you said, a 70-plus percent pass rate on a team with no tight ends, and they also didn't throw to their running backs, really. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, you can mix and match basically any of the wide receivers. Danucci will probably be popular, but nothing too crazy to where he's unplayable in any way. Um, Danucci plus, like, Josh Gordon or – like you could do that. You can do Danucci plus uh, Blake Jackson or really or Pearson. Any of the any of the receivers really. And I think you can. You got to be careful with some of their their pass catcher ownership and how you make your lineup different. But Danucci will probably be my preferred quarterback play of the slate. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I think like if you're going Danucci uh, plus Jakur Pearson plus Blake Jackson, you're going to need to get different. Yeah, I would not else. do that. No. Yeah, that's that's going to be the most popular double stack. So if you're if you're playing something like that, you need to like get get unique in, in another spot. Yeah. Um, I wrote up Josh Gordon as being a solid leverage play because I think you know optimizers and a lot of people building by hand will be forced into playing either Jackson or Pearson because they're they're just better projected values industry wide. Right. Um, and, you know, Gordon was sort of their downfield guy and, you know, his volume was still pretty solid. He didn't quite see the target volume that Jackson and, and Pearson did, but he's getting targets down the field. So, you know, he could break a couple of big plays and you're probably getting him at half the ownership that, that Blake Jackson is going to be. So, And um, half the ownership that he was just one week ago. Like Exactly. We exactly. <laughs> and we he's not, not like be... a, he's not he's not like a fundamentally different play this week by, you know, no, no. Much, and he didn't right? have a bad week last week at all. He exactly. Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's I, he expensive. didn't look, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's definitely overpriced. And I mean, he didn't look like, you know, the 2013 world beating Josh Gordon, but I don't think anyone expected that. I mean, he's still one of the most talented wide receivers in the league. Um, Jordan VC is three K he's projecting as a pretty strong value. Uh, that's, you know, if you wanted to go with the most creative Danucci double stack, it would be, you know, Danucci, Gordon, plus Jordan VC. But, um, you know, Gordon, Jackson, and Pearson are really the main three guys there who are going to see volume. Um, what I'm kind of struggling with here is what to do with these Seattle running backs. Um, Brendan, uh, Brendan Knox wasn't uh, particularly – high up in like weighted opportunity. He only had a 36% snap share, didn't run many routes. Um, Yeah. I, you know, I think he'll get the, I think he'll get the red zone carries, but I also don't think there will be many red zone carries to go around. I think this is an offense that just wants to throw over and over again. So yeah, I'm I'm really struggling with what to do with these Seattle running backs and they're sort of, or I guess it's really just Brendan Knox that we're talking about here. Um, But you know, the pricing is pretty awkward at 6,400. I feel like I'd rather just, you know, either pay the extra money for Brian Hill or, um, you know, maybe pay down for a discount option. So, yeah, I'm not sure if you have any thoughts there. Yeah, he's not somebody I'll feel great about clicking, but he's also probably means he makes some sense um, mm-hmm. in, in some lineups. Like, I think if you are not playing Danucci and you're kind of fading the Seattle passing attack, playing Brendan Knox makes a ton of sense. 
Yeah. Um, like they just, you know, they get down to the five yard line or one yard line and he falls in the end zone. Like it won't take much for him to yep. pay off. Um, I even think in the, if you're playing the situation where the Seattle offense does, does roll, they pass a ton. You could play Danucci plus Gordon plus Knox and just say, I hope I get all of the offensive points from this, yeah. this offense. Yeah. I, I really like that. I mean, we saw in the first quarter of the Seattle game last week, I mean, Danucci had, I think, a little bit over 100 yards. Like, I could definitely see a game where Seattle just absolutely rolls um, and, you know, puts up 40 on the board. And in that scenario, you know, Knox could definitely fall into the end zone a couple times. And he could make for an interesting pairing with the Seattle defense if you yeah. think, you know, St. Louis just totally drops the ball again like they did against San Antonio. Yeah. Um, all right. So, oh, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, he's not a, basically he's, you don't necessarily want to play him, but he, he probably makes some sense in some different builds. Yeah. Yeah. Right there with you. Um, all right. Let's move on to the DC defenders at the Las Vegas Vipers. This is a 7 PM Saturday kickoff with an over under of 37. Las Vegas is favored by three and a half. I think that the DC side is pretty interesting for a couple reasons. The Galaxy Brain quarterback play of the week, not a guy I'm going overboard on on any on by any means, but I'm probably going to play around 30 teams in the big GPP this week, and I'm going to have them on one or two, and it's De'Ara King. So last week, I know, I know, you know, in a league where you know <laughs> they're probably going to, he's probably splitting reps with Jordan Payapu. So I'm just putting that out there, but. He's 6,700, and last week we saw him come in, and he just really lit a spark for this D.C. offense. I mean, he looked great rushing the ball. I wrote him up in, um, you know, the tournament plays article and basically said if we spot him his 42-yard run that was called back due to penalty, um, he and, you know, extrapolate his rushing production out to a full game, he would have scored over 30 DraftKings points on rushing production alone, which is just absolutely insane. And I think – that there is a very small chance that he could actually start this game and play every snap at quarterback because of how good he looked last week and how much better the DC offense looked with him at quarterback. With that said, I don't think it's very likely, you know, most likely we're going to see Tayamu coming in uh, for most of the passing plays and then Derek King coming in um, for a lot of the rushing stuff. But I mean, at 6,700, King could still get there on limited snaps. So I am fine trotting him out there on a few teams, um, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about playing Derek King if you're only playing five or 10 lineups, no. if you're MMEing, yeah, if you're MMEing in any regard, I think he's a little interesting as like a mega galaxy brain play that's going to be 0% on the quarterback. I don't know if you have any other thoughts there, but I wanted to make my case for Derek King. Um, I mean, I, I don't like this DC offense. I, yeah. If you, if you forced said I had to play a DC QB, it probably would be King. I think Tamu is basically unplayable yeah, uh, given his role, which is surprising that because we've seen him be productive in other spring leagues before and 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 have decent not just like decent rushing numbers, decent passing numbers, and it's just they really just do not want to run the ball. I mean, pass the ball at all. They they had a thirty percent neutral situation pass rate last week. That is so low. Um, yeah. Yeah, Which, and that, I mean, that was a game where Seattle got out to an early lead, too. So just, yeah. I mean, really, really concerning stuff. And, yeah, it's, it's really strange because Tayamu is a is a good spring league, 
spring league quarterback, but he doesn't provide nearly as much juice on the ground as Derek King does. So I think that's, you know, that's the reason for the rotation. And it is very, I know we talked about this the other day. It's very reminiscent of what the New Jersey generals were doing last year with Luis Perez and DeAndre Johnson. Um, and I definitely got myself into trouble a couple of weeks playing a little too much DeAndre Johnson there. Um, you know, moving on um, to running back, I think Abram Smith and Raquel Armstead are both a little interesting. Abram Smith, 70% snap share last week. Granted, it really didn't amount um, to much at all. Only 5.3 weighted opportunity points. He did have a 54% route share, but I can't imagine either of these quarterbacks are going to be targeting running backs very often. And then just from the eye test, I thought Raquel Armstead looked really great. He looked super explosive. I mean, this is a guy who was in the NFL with Jacksonville previously. Um, He's a little interesting at 4,600. There's another uh, running back for for Houston in a similar sort of price range that I actually like a lot more. Um, But I think both DC running backs are interesting and you can make a case for either. Yeah, I I don't think I have a major lean either way. Uh, mm-hmm. I think both are fine. You're gonna get great leverage if you're playing one of them either way. You're again, yeah. you're just bet you're just betting on really even whether it's King, Abram Smith, or Armstead, you're just basically betting that they get a rushing touchdown at some point, and that's all you really need. Abram Smith is uh, definitely a good running back though. I liked him coming out of college. Thought he he's a converted linebacker now playing running back. Um, we've seen Reichel Armstead be decent in the NFL. So maybe that transitions as well. Yeah. I, I don't have, none of them are my, either of them are really my favorite plays at running back, but I think they both are fine. If you're, if you need to get different in your lineup because you're playing chalkier options elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. I think that's, that's pretty good analysis. The, uh, the pass catchers on DC. I mean, this is, like, like you said, I mean, a 38% pass rate is not great no. for any sort of receiver production. Um, you know, Lucky Jackson, I, I guess, is a little interesting. He he projects okay. Um, it's it's really hard to have a lot of faith in, in any of these guys' ceiling. But, you know, at 4,600, I, I, I think I can leave Lucky Jackson in my player pool. But, you know, I, I yeah. don't think I'm going to want much. Yeah, Lucky Jackson was the only guy I wrote down as a viable pass catcher in this offense. Um, 26% of the targets, 27% of the receiving yards. Those are good numbers. You just It's just not a large pie. Um, but like we said, we've seen Te'amu be decent at throwing the football before. Maybe last week was – we don't want to overreact too much to last week. So Lucky Jackson is the only viable guy. And again – a another solid leverage play that nobody's really going to play. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. I do. I mean, I, I just have serious doubts about the TD equity of all these guys. Cause I think yeah. especially in the red zone, you know, they're, they're really just going to run the ball and it's probably going to be Derek King, you know, in a quarterback and he's, he's just not going to throw, he's going to run every play. Um, so yeah, moving on to the Vegas side. Um, I think, and I, Industry-wide, this seems to be pretty close to consensus. We're probably going to get a bit of a quarterback rotation here with Luis Perez um, and Brett Hundley. Um, you know, it's, it's tough because Perez could play the whole game. We saw him lead all quarterbacks in drafting scoring last week at 3% ownership. And, <laughs> you know, we might see similar ownership again this week, and we could have the exact same scenario play out where Hundley just doesn't get in the game. 
Um, and that certainly makes Perez at least a little interesting, you know, given the wide receiver talent he's surrounded with. Yeah, he's um, yeah. He, b- despite throwing what? What did he throw? Two pick sixes last week. And still... <laughs> I think he had five total touchdowns, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, yeah. I mean crazy stuff. But I, I'm probably just staying away from this quarterback room. It's mm-hmm. it's just not worth it. I think to. I mean, if you're you know if you're doing mass multi entry and you want to get a you know three percent of Perez or something, then by all means, I think that's fine. But. Other than that, I'm probably just staying away. There's these, there's, there's QBs that are going to play most of the snaps, or even King, who we at least know is going to run the ball a lot, um, that I'd rather play. Uh, the receiving options are not bad, um, mainly just Martavis Bryant, if I had to pick one. And I think he's actually, he's actually probably one of my favorite leverage plays at receiver because of how kind of a down week he had last week, despite the like peripheral numbers being pretty good, 25% target share, 34% of the air yards, but he had like a 44% catch rate, which is just terrible and probably not what he's going to normally post week to week. So just kind of hope that balances out a little bit, maybe catches a deep ball from, and like you said, maybe Hunley does play more than we think. And he, maybe he's a little bit better than Perez. We don't know. Um, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, last week, based on what I understand, you know, Hundley was sort of late arriving to the team. So it wasn't necessarily like a talent issue as much as it was. He just didn't didn't know the offense. Yeah. 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 So um, I I think all these uh, Las Vegas wide receivers are in play. I'm I'm with you. I think Martavis Bryant is my favorite play overall. Um, And I mean, they're, they're all pretty expensive, but again, it's not hard to pay up for these guys that's on the board right um i think jeff Bedette goes a little over owned after his huge game last week um so i i i'm probably going to mostly try to play martavis bryant and geronimo allison um you know running back for vegas is tough i really don't like either guy it feels no. similar to seattle in that they're both sort of awkwardly priced and the usage isn't great um I, I mean, I'd rather play Brandon Knox than Rod Smith, but I, I'm not sure if you have a, a hard take on these fakes running back. The, this is a total avoid situation. I mean, Lovett, yeah. Smith, and Torrey were all in the 20 to 33% range for rush share. There's just, there's really just no reason to to play there. There's a, you only have to play one running back and there's enough other solutions elsewhere to, that just makes so much more sense. Yeah, for, for what it's worth, I mean, Rod Smith did get the red zone touches last week, but I mean, only seven, you know, total opportunities. It's, yeah, just just really not good, especially at, what is he, like 6,700? I mean, you can you can do a lot better with that salary. Yeah, so. you basically need him to fall in the end zone at that point. Yeah, uh, which, definitely. Yeah. And, and Vegas seemed pretty willing to pass the ball. So I think, you know, it's right. probably more likely that these touchdowns end up going to the wide receivers instead. Yep. Um, all right. So moving on to these... Sunday games. We've got our first kickoff, 4 p.m. Sunday, the San Antonio Brahmas at the Orlando Guardians. The the total here is 38 and a half. I know we haven't spent much time on betting stuff, um, but I thought this is pretty easily the best bet of the week, the under 38 and a half in the um, San Antonio Orlando game. I think these are probably the two worst offenses in the XFL. Um, I mean, at least you could make an argument that they are. I think Orlando definitely is the worst offense in the XFL. San Antonio didn't really impress me um, week one. So I, I really like the under here. I don't know if, if you have any thoughts. 
No, yeah, that makes sense. My that's what when looking at the you know trying to project this game, I I was struggling to see how you got to thirty eight and a half points. And my my only guess is maybe like Orlando does have a high pass rate in week one. They they had like a seventy four percent pass rate. But that was because um, they had to. I mean, right? That was because they had to. Yeah. So I don't I don't know if the bookmakers saw that saw that high number and just thought maybe they they did their early down pass rate was seventy five percent as well. Um, but yeah, it's the neutral situation, which they didn't get a ton of was in the fifties. So they probably don't want to be a super pass happy team. I, um, I'd be shocked if that's what they want to do, given their, given their quarterback yes. room. So. Yeah. And we know, um, um, I mean, I think we can, other than DC, San Antonio does not want to throw, throw the ball at all. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, so starting on the, San Antonio side, they are three-point favorites here against Orlando. Um, you know, Jack Cohn is a little interesting, but I really don't think I want anything to do with him. I mean, he per, he projects all right industry-wide. I think he'll definitely catch some ownership, probably 15%. I'd be surprised if he pushes 20, uh, but somewhere in that range. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think I really want much to do with him. Um yeah, like you said, this is just a team who really wants to run the ball. Kalen Balazs with 24 carries last week, plus four targets on a 53% snap share. Like, he played half the snaps and had 24 rushes, 19.2 weighted opportunity points, led all running backs. Um, I think that's a much more interesting spot to sort of uh, start this debate. I think Balazs probably goes way over-owned this week, but, I mean, he is a strong play. We know the touches are going to be there. So yeah, do you have any thoughts on this, uh, you know, the quarterback situation or, uh, you know, these, these running backs for San Antonio? Uh, I, I wish Cone wasn't as popular. Like you said, that 15, yeah. if, if I could get Cone at 10%, I'd like him a ton more. Um, just because like we said, we don't think Orlando is very good. There's a chance San Antonio can move the ball, even if it is on the ground, but maybe he throws some touchdowns here and there. Um, he he looked fine in his first game. Um, nothing nothing special, but again, QBs that are playing 100% of their team snap is kind of a you get a boost right from from that. It's just if you're exactly. telling me he gets anywhere close to some of these other QBs in ownership, it, it's tough. He's a tough click. Balage yeah. is probably the highest, if not the highest owned, one of the top three highest owned players on the slate. Um for good reason he's yeah he's he's the workhorse back of the xfl right now um he's getting like you said most of the opportunities i'm probably fine playing him at that high of ownership and just choosing to get different elsewhere there's just so many other places you can get different um we don't want to people are going to overreact to things they saw in week one and think we know a lot more than we do about this league and we and we just don't so but Balaj getting as much work as we do is probably something we can bet on pretty safely and just try to get different elsewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I think between Balaj and, and Brian Hill, I, I definitely want Brian Hill. Um, I think I think you're going to get Brian Hill at a bit of a, an ownership discount. I think people might be a little scared off by his, you know, just general touch numbers or, or snap numbers, especially compared to Balage. Um So yeah, if you're, de- I mean, they're almost the exact same price. So yeah, if you're deciding between those guys, I think Brian Hill is, Clearly the better play. Um, yeah, I'd rather play Hill over Balazs if I was picking between the two, but I like Balazs is totally in play, even at high ownership. 
yeah, I think Jaquiz I, Patrick is also a little bit interesting if you're not playing Balage and you're just kind of betting on, you know, him getting the rushing touchdown. He he had decent work. He had uh, 25% of the carries. Um, yeah, 40, the, 44% know. of snaps, 44% yeah. of routes. Um, yeah, he could, you know, he could get some, some red zone touches there. So he's definitely a, a decent leverage play. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think, I think that's pretty sharp. If you want to, like, if you really want to stay away from Balage, I would, I would definitely be looking at some, some Patrick exposure there. Um, these San Antonio pass catchers, um, I don't have a ton of optimism about overall. I think Fred Brown is a really strong play. I believe he's only 3,200. We sort of expect him to slot into that Landon Acres role. Last week, Acres had seven targets on an A dot of 0.0, like pretty much all swing passes and screens. So they obviously want a slot guy who they can get uh, the ball out quick to. And I think that will be Fred Brown this week. And he sort of falls into the category of the half dozen or so, you know, sub 4K wide receivers who are just excellent values. Yeah, he's um, in general, just as the the receivers as a whole i'm probably never playing more than one of them in a lineup even if i have cone as my qb yeah there's they just don't pass enough um he but yeah he's probably i mean he might be my favorite of the super cheap value qbs because he doesn't look like he's going to be super popular um and like you said yeah he he's just falling right into that slot role um the other guys are all fine. Uh, Tolliver is okay. Um, I don't know if I'd play anybody else though. Yeah, no one, no one really projects well enough to jump out. I mean, I think if you're MMEing, uh, a little bit of Travis Johnson or TJ Vasher might make some sense. They're not very good values, but I like okay enough that it's you know you don't have to totally get rid of them. I think for me, I'm. I'm pretty much only looking at, at Fred Brown here in terms of the pass catchers. Elise Mack projects well, but I'm not optimistic about the upside of a of a tight end in this offense. Um, yeah. So I will probably be staying away there. Um. All right. Moving on to the Orlando side of things. I mean, goodness, quarterback is just an absolute disaster for the Guardians. We saw Paxton Lynch and Quentin Dormady last week. Paxton Lynch looked. Terrible. Dormady looked okay-ish. He, he had a long touchdown. Um, I mean, we could we could legitimately see a three quarterback rotation this week, which is just, I mean, it's it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, there's not really much to say about it. They're like, no, yeah, for DFS of... purposes, nothing. We if they did, Dormady is the guy. I hope they kind of consolidate on. I think yeah. he's got the best chance at being viable in fantasy and also just in actual football. Yeah. Um, but until even then it's, we would need to see this be a better offense as a whole, but for us to really care about any of these quarterbacks. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you there. You can, don't have to worry about any of these, uh, Orlando quarterbacks for DFS purposes this week. Um, you know, John Mayne Martin is pretty clearly the lead back here, uh, for Orlando. Uh, granted he did only log 48% of snaps um, and he didn't necessarily score very well in weighted opportunity. Um, I don't have a lot of optimism for this offense at all. Um, while I think, you know, Jamie Martin is the guy that they 
want to get the most backfield touches to, uh, you know, he's, he's just too expensive. And I think that there are much better leverage spots at running back. So I'm, I'm totally fine fading him. I'm not sure if you have any other thoughts. No, this, yeah. This backfield. Probably not playing him this week. Uh, just like you said, all there's, there's enough other places you can play guys and get leverage. Yeah. Um, pass catcher though, for Orlando is actually pretty interesting just given how cheap some of their, uh, top receiving options are, um, Cody Latimer is a guy that I wrote up. I mean, he scored 17 DraftKings points last week and a half of action before, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he ended up getting hurt. And from what I can tell, he's completely healthy now, expected to play. Um, you know, he's not projecting very well industry wide, which I, I kind of think is a mistake. I, you know, I, I think they want to get this guy the ball. I mean, you know, former NFL wide receiver who's now playing sort of like a gimmicky, like H back role for them. Uh, from what I could tell, he was lining up at receiver quite a bit. But, yep. you know, they were also doing a little bit of tight end stuff with him. I think he's a, a pretty strong play um, as the sub 4K guys go. And, you know, I might I might play 15 or 20 percent Cody Latimer this week. Really? OK. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, th- I think he's pretty strong. And this is like we got to keep in mind, too, this is a game like I expect Orlando to struggle. I think they're going to have to throw. And, you know, if we assume Quentin Dormady gets most of these reps, like the passing offense might not be be awful. So that's, that's my bull case for Latimer. I'm surprised he's looking like as not popular as he is. I, I would have thought his big game last week would have put him in that close to double digit range, in which case I would think he'd be a fine play, but not. Yeah. At single low single digits, I think he's, yeah, he's definitely a, a solid play. Um, yeah. I like taking shots at pretty much Charleston Rambo, Eli Rogers or Cody Latimer for this yep. offense. Um I don't know. I don't. I don't think I have a preferred favorite like you do with with Latimer, but I I think all of them are solid options this week. Yeah, Eli Rogers is projecting industry wide as a really strong value. I mean, only thirty one hundred, and it looks like he's going to play um, quite a bit. So he's he's a pretty solid option. And then Charleston Rambo sort of falls under the same like category as a guy like maybe Marcel Aitman, where. You know, he's clearly overpriced. He doesn't project particularly well, but I mean, that's going to keep his ownership down. And it's really not hard to find the salary to be able to pay up for a guy like that. Obviously, like I, I prefer Aitman, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm more than fine with, with Rambo. Um, you know, I weird. He, uh, he, he had such a low like area chair and a dot. Like, he was more of their short yardage area receiver when he definitely is a. You know, played on the outside, more of a bigger guy. Like you would think, more like Aitman, yeah. but but not how he was really used in week in week one. So maybe that changes. Maybe it doesn't. But I think he's a solid option as well. Yeah, yeah, sort of a sort of an interesting contrarian play there, just given that he's, I mean, just not a good value. Um, but yeah, if I were if I were power ranking these guys, it'd be it'd be Latimer, Rogers, and then probably a gap, and then um, you know Rambo there. Um, you can you can totally get away with with not playing uh, any Rambo at all. Yeah, um, but but Latimer and Rogers are both both very strong values. Um, all right, so moving on to the final game of the week, we've got the Arlington Renegades at the Houston Roughnecks. This is a 7 p.m. kickoff on Sunday. The over under here is 40 and a half, and Houston is favored by five and a half at some books. I've seen four and a half at other places. I actually got three and a half right when the week started, which I'm super happy about. Um, Honestly, I'm fine taking Houston minus four and a half. I think this is by far 
the best offense in the XFL. Um, they're just going to put a ton of points on the board, and I'm not particularly optimistic about Arlington. I'm not sure if you have any uh, betting takes on this game. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I saw early in the week when you said it, you thought it closed, it would close closer to Houston minus five ish, and that's pretty much what looks like is going to happen. Yep. Um, yeah, they're definitely the better team, probably the best team in the XFL. Um, Arlington, I don't really know what to think of Arlington yet. They, you know, they're they're mixing multiple quarterbacks in. Doesn't really, you know, Sal Canella is a solid player. They. They don't really have a lot to look great about, but Houston looks like they're gonna they're gonna try to put up points no matter what. Yeah, I mean AJ Smith, the Houston offensive coordinator, is like like I am in love with this guy. So like when I wrote up the the week one preview and I was looking into AJ Smith and sort of what he had done throughout his career, you know, this is a guy who had only coached like pretty much high school and junior college football, but everywhere he went, his quarterbacks, his wide receivers were putting up record numbers. I think if you look through the Louisiana State high school record book, I mean, a lot of the the all-time record holders are guys that were coached by A.J. Smith. And you, you hear him talk, and basically all he says is, we want to throw the ball. Like, I, one of his quotes in an interview that I heard this past week was, you know, I have people come up to me and they say, oh, we're so efficient running the ball. Why don't we run more? And I say, well, we're efficient running the ball because we pass so much. So, I, you know, they're just not going to get away from throwing, which – is something to love. The Houston Roughnecks currently favored for the XFL title. Hopefully a few of you guys manage to tail me and get Houston plus 600 because I can't imagine we're seeing those odds again anytime soon. Um, moving on to some DFS takes though. Drew Plitt is only 8,000. He projects pretty well industry-wide, um, but my issue is that I kind of think he's going to go over-owned um, because like I said, you know, he is a pretty solid value at quarterback. There's the risk, uh, you know, Kyle Sloter could could rotate in there. Um, and, you know, we saw Arlington only a 48% pass rate week one, which is just like really concerning, um, especially given that they were losing to Las Vegas for, for a decent portion of that game. So I think if, you know, Flit's going to get close to 20% ownership, um, that's, that's just a really tough click for me. I'm not sure if you have a take there. Yeah, he falls into a similar bucket as Cohen to me. It's basically mm -hmm. those two, like, I'd either rather get up to Danucci and Silvers and, and eat a little bit of chalk at QB or drop down to McCarron and and just go with a more heavy leverage spot at QB. And then yeah. you've got Plitt and Cohen in the middle, and I'm just, they don't have the upside of the slightly more chalkier guys, but they're also not giving me the same leverage that, like, McCarron is. So they're, yeah, he, he probably is my fourth QB of the week um, when you factor in projection and ownership. Um, yeah. I, I, per, I prefer him to, to uh, Jack Cohn, but yeah, man, it's, yeah, he's just a really tough click when you, when you tell me, you know, I only have to eat like five or 7% more ownership and $600 more salary to get up to a guy like Brandon Silvers, who we'll, we'll get to shortly. Who's just, a, I mean, he's just a much better play right. um, than Plitt is, but uh, to be fair, on the Arlington side, I, I do think there are some very strong plays. And it really starts with Davion Smith. Um, only 5,700. He was second in weighted opportunity last week. 75% snap share, 60% route share, 18 total opportunities. I mean, very clearly the top running back value of the week. He's going to be really popular, but I 
can't really find a good reason to get off of him. I mean, I think this is a game, you know, he's pretty clearly the guy Arlington wants to play in passing situations. Um, Keith Ford is definitely live for these red zone touches, which is a concern if you're playing Davion Smith, Keith Ford could steal these TDs. But at the same time, I mean, I kind of expect Arlington to get blown out here. And, you know, that probably means Davion Smith plays, you know, a lot, runs a lot of routes and, you know, could be right up there for the league lead and uh, and targets this week at the running back position. Yeah, you pretty much said it uh, as the reason uh, why I might not want to play him. It's it's the red zone work and the goal line work. I mean, Plitt Plitt had more rushes than um, Devion Smith in the red zone last week, which is not great, especially for, you know, we're, none of these running backs are like super highly efficient guys and, yeah. and touchdowns are going to matter a lot. So man, if, if he's the most popular running back, he real I really do want to, I think, get off of him in most lineups. Mm-hmm. Um, if I am playing him, I'm just, you just got to be conscious of the ownership and make sure you're getting different. You can't play the Seattle passing attack with Devion Smith probably not a great idea um so yeah i i think and because of that keith ford is viable that maybe he they get in the red zone twice and he gets two touchdowns somehow um yeah ford i mean ford is overpriced he does not project very well but at the same time i mean no one's going to play him he's probably going to be one or two percent owned um and yeah like you said he could fall into the end zone so you know, there is a pretty good argument for fading Davion Smith there. And again, I mean, like, you know, 5,700 at his projection, like it, it looks great, obviously. But when you factor in all the wide receiver value that we have this week, he's, he's really not too difficult to get off of. Right. Um, I'd so rather I, play Balage or Hill over him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I line up. Balage, I'm, I'm a little more iffy on, um, but definitely, definitely Hill, I think, is a much stronger uh, tournament play. Um so yeah, there is there is a little bit more fragility than his projection might suggest there. Um, on the pass catching side of things, there's two pretty clear top options for Arlington. I mean, Sal Canell is their their top wide receiver. He's you know listed as a as a tight end, but he's effectively a wide receiver. I believe he played wide receiver in college at Auburn. Um, if you played any USFL DFS, you know who this guy is. Um, and this is you know this is the same offense that. Uh, carried Donald Parham in 2020 to about 15 drafting points per game. So, you know, Canella is one of the top receiver plays of the slate. He's going to be really popular. You could certainly argue he's going to go over-owned. Um, you know, 6,500, he's not like a screaming value by any means, but he's a pretty strong play. Um, and then you have Tyler Vaughns, who's honestly looking like their lead receiver after Canella. Um, and he's only 3,000, which is just, absolutely insane. Um, you know, right there is one of the top values on the board. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if you have any additional thoughts on these pass catchers, but I think, you know, Vons is, is pretty clearly just a, just an awesome value play, you know, top five wide receiver value. And then Canella is also a pretty strong play. Yeah. Vons should be the most popular option of the, of their pass catching weeks and he's not. So yeah, he is definitely an awesome play. Canella is also a good play, but yes, like you said, going to be popular, which pushes me. It's just like, like, I don't know. I just would rather play Vaughn's um, yeah. if I'm picking a Houston receiver. Um, and I don't know how many, or Harling, sorry, wrong team. <laughs> you're, you're uh, New league, we're still learning. <laughs> yeah, we're still learning. Still remembering what teams Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know how many line. I, I do think 
big game stacks of this game make sense with the highest over under. So there's worlds mm-hmm. where you you could play multiple Arlington pass catchers with Plit at QB and then load up with Houston guys as well. Yeah, um, if, if if you are playing Plit, I think you have to play Houston players. Um, like, I, yes. I, yeah. I I don't think there's there's any any room for yes. uh, for you, for anything else there. You you have to game stack if you're if you're playing Plit. Yes. Um, yeah, and then. Our, we saw some higher scoring games last week in general, uh, in general, like, mm-hmm. like, but these are not good offenses. Like the, the, yeah. they could very easily be that one game shoots out and you just lo- you have four or five guys from that game and that's what you needed to take it down. So exactly. Yeah. And like, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because last year with, with USFL stuff, like game stacks or double stacking, I mean, it just wasn't as important because these teams were not throwing very Right. I think league wide, you know, the USFL pass rate was something like fifty five percent. In yep. XFL week one, it's close to seventy. Like, right. I mean, it was just awesome. So you can definitely get more aggressive with double stacking and game stacks um, than you know maybe I even originally thought. Uh, you know, coming into this this new league. Um, moving on to the Houston side of things, um, I mean, man, I kind of just love everyone on the team as a play. Like, I think. Basically, you know, like the top eight guys on Houston are all uh, viable plays. Brandon Silvers is the top quarterback play of the slate. Uh, you could argue, you know, he's he's tied with Danucci. Maybe you could make a case that Danucci is a slightly better play. But Silvers is only 8,600. Houston is going to throw the ball probably 70% of the time. And Silvers led all quarterbacks with at least 20 attempts in average depth of target. So not only is he throwing a ton, but he's pushing the ball downfield, mm-hmm. which I think is just absolutely awesome. Um, the one thing that is a little iffy with Silvers is that Cole McDonald did get some reps near the end of uh, last week's game. I'm not sure if the blowout script had something to do with it, but it was at least a little concerning that McDonald's reps came at the goal line. They wanted to give him, you know, some read options and stuff. So Silvers could lose a little TD equity um, if he gets subbed out for McDonald. And I suppose if he, if he were to play bad enough, there, there would be a real benching risk there. Um, Cause I, you know, I think the coaching staff does actually like Cole McDonald. Yeah. It really stinks that they are working in McDonald's. Uh, yeah. You would love to just be able to load up on Silvers and, and think that, you know, he's their guy and whatever. So we'll see what they, you know, as the weeks go on, if that does start to split more and more, which, Man, that would just really suck for the best offense yeah. in the league right now. So, but for now, like you said, Silvers is probably the best play on the slate. Maybe tied with Danucci at worst, and and yeah, he's a very good play. And you don't have to get super contrarian everywhere to be able to play him. He's not going to be super crazy popular. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the Houston running back situation, I think, is extremely interesting and. Um, you know, it, it really presents an interesting leverage spot for this slate because Max Borgie, I mean, you know, week one, he he looked like baby CMC, the XFL's version of Christian McCaffrey. He looked great rushing the ball. They were clearly trying to get him some design looks um, in the passing game. The only problem, though, was that he only played 46% of snaps and he ran a, a route on 19% of dropbacks. 12 total opportunities. He ended up finishing the week third and weighted opportunity so his you know his workload is solid last week I, I called him the best play of the slate at only 4500 and you know about 30 percent ownership I thought you know he's pretty close to a lock button play the problem this week is that he's 8,000 and you know he's probably going to be about 30 percent owned again so 
So the whole, you know, baby CMC thing is, it's pretty priced in, um, which to me opens the door to Dijon Lee um, actually being a pretty strong leverage play. Uh, Lee played 42% of snaps and earned 17% of routes, which is, you know, pretty similar uh, to what Borgie did. Uh, Lee also had six out of the five red zone opportunities in this backfield. So Lee is definitely live to score. Um, he's only 4,200. He's not projecting for any ownership at all. Um, I actually think Dijon Lee is like a really interesting contrarian running back play if you want to pay down the position. Yeah, Lee is, I think Lee's my favorite running back play of the of the slate. He, it, like it, when you factor in price, ownership, yeah. and everything, like it, there's no reason that the ownership gap should be basically zero and 25% for Borgie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the price gap is also double. Um, I'm Lee, you know, Lee might not be in every lineup that I make, but it's going to make it very hard for me to want to play Borgie. Um, mm-hmm. because just knowing that, all right, if I'm playing a Houston running back, why wouldn't I play the one that is going to be basically unowned and didn't see much less of, of a workload than Borgie saw last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, I definitely understand where you're coming from there. I do, I mean, I still really like Borgie. I mean, honestly, I think that there's there's certainly scenarios where both running backs end up getting there. That's not a bad idea if you want to yeah, play Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's that's a, like, you could play all chalk plus both Houston running backs <laughs> and, and just hope Houston scores 50 points yeah. and, and yeah, yeah, they end up going a little run heavy. Oh, I actually like that a lot. Impressive. I did not think of that. <laughs> um, I, I, I still do like Borgie as a player. I wouldn't get completely off um, Borgie because, again, I mean, you know, Houston is live to score 40, so uh, you know, Borgie Borgie is still a strong play, even if, uh, you know, he is maybe a little overpriced and overowned. Uh, Nick Holly is also listed as a running back for Houston. He's not playing running back. He's playing wide receiver. Um, some sites actually have him as a really strong value this week. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that. I think the addition of Justin Smith to this wide receiver group kind of pushes Holly down the pecking order a little bit. I mean, he had 33 routes. In week one, I don't expect, uh, you know, the same same number of routes this week. Uh, but, I mean, you know, 3,000, he's live for, you know, two, three, four targets. And if you really need salary savings at running back, I, I do think Nick Holly is, um, you know, at least in play. But I, I certainly prefer Dijon Lee and, and, and Borgie even um, to Holly. Because Holly could zero. I mean, he had a zero last yeah. week. He, he could very easily post a zero this week. Um I don't if think you'll catch much ownership though. Probably only three or four percent. No. So. If you're playing like four other wide receivers and need like four expensive wide receivers and need yeah. a cheap running back, he's fine. Other than that, like if he's not my only running back in my lineup, I'd rather play one of the cheaper wide receivers in my flex than him. Um, yeah, almost all the the cheap, you know, three ish k wide receivers are are stronger values projected. Right. Project exactly. Overall, yeah. Um, all right, these Houston wide receivers. I think this is really interesting we still don't know um if justin smith is going to play for houston but on uh, in an interview this past week uh aj smith the houston offensive coordinator basically said you know he talked about um john trey kirkland and deontay burnett as their top wide receivers but then he also said um you know uh justin smith is another guy who we are super excited about and we cannot wait to showcase his abilities. 
Um, you know, Justin Smith, only 3,300. If he plays, he's pretty clearly the top wide receiver value uh, among these Houston wide receivers. But at the same time, I mean, Deontay Burnett, John Trey, John Trey Kirkland, and Travel Harris are all outstanding plays in an offense like this. Um, so I think all four are are more than fine. Um, I'm not sure if you have a, a strong take on, on who, who you like the most. I'm just, honestly, I think I'm just going to mix it up a lot with my, you know, my Silvers lineups. I'll probably mostly double stack and yeah, just uh, add in some randomness there and, and hope for the best. Yeah, I don't, it's hard to pick a, it is hard to pick a favorite of this, oh, of yeah. this group. Um, yeah, we're, we're giving Smith like an 18% target share right now, um, mm-hmm. assuming he plays. If he does not play, that obviously is going to spread out. You know, maybe Nikali looks a little bit better, but it's mostly yeah. going to spread out to the other receivers and whatnot. Um, Burnett is probably my favorite if I'm not playing a ton of lineups and I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, playing a ton of Houston in general. Um there's a good argument to be made that you should have like a Houston either player or receiver in like every lineup um, yeah. and just mix and match. What does, what does the ownership look like for the, the Houston pass catchers? Anything? I, any I think they're of? all going to be pretty popular. Um, I think Justin Smith especially will get quite a bit of steam as, as long as we get confirmation that, that he's actually playing. Um, the Lowestone guy should be travel Harris. Um so, you know, that's, that's fine. I mean, I don't know. I honestly, like, I'm not too concerned with ownership here. I just think they're all great plays. And in most of my lineups where I'm like double stacking Houston, I'm, I'm probably looking at just getting different somewhere else. Another option too is, uh, and I think this will be you know fairly unique is going like silvers plus one of these Houston running backs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, plus a receiver. Um, you know, that's, that's definitely in play, but yeah, they're 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 all like all these pass catchers are are really great plays. I had a lot of optimism for tight end Garrett Owens coming into the season, but he only ran six rounds in week one. Converted running back like six three two thirty. I was like, oh man, this guy could this guy could do some damage, but he's just not playing. Um, but yeah, to to put a bow on it, I I think you know I think all these Houston pass catchers are, are really great plays. I, I like both the running backs. You can make a solid argument for for Nick Holly and hopefully Brandon Silver is just actually plays close to every snap that's that's really your only risk with stacking Houston a bunch yep yeah yeah as long as no one guy is getting crazy ownership don't don't worry about it too much um and just look at the rest of your lineup and kind of make them fit however you need to to not be too chalky or too over leveraged in either direction yep um all right so I just wanted to wrap things up with maybe a minute or two of like macro thoughts on the slate. Um, one thing that I'm going to be doing is I'm, I'm going to put a setting in like max two running backs in every lineup there. Uh, you know, the wide receivers pretty much across the board in the XFL have better upside. Uh, you know, the running backs project pretty well. So if you're not like, if you just put projections into an optimizer and hit optimize, you're going to get a lot of lineups that are cheap wide receivers and then these expensive running backs. So that'll sort of be like the base build, so to speak. Um, getting away from that is, in any capacity is, is probably a good idea. And honestly, I think you can play a ton of lineups that are only one running back, four wide receivers. Um, you get a lot of upside there. Uh, I think both of my, um, you know, solid weeks that I had in, in USFL last year, and keep in mind, USFL, much lower pass rate than, pass rate than XFL. Uh, you know, both my solid weeks came from lineups that I, I believe play four wide receivers. So, 
Um, yeah, I'm not sure if you have any like slate-wide sort of like macro thoughts, but I think that's pretty important is to avoid avoid lineups with three running backs. It's you're just not going to get there. Yep, I was thinking the same thing regarding running backs. I as a I, I'm probably not really MMEing. I'm mostly single entry three max type lineups. Yep. I'm probably going to have at least one lineup. If I'm making 10 lineups, probably maybe half of them are going to be pretty heavy game stacks of this Houston Arlington or Seattle St. Louis game. I think there's a good chance this week that a lot of the best players come from one of those two games and, yeah. and just trying um, in just in general, not playing a ton of guys from those other two games and just trying to be over the, over the field on my lineup, having multiple guys from a high scoring game than not. You only need, there's only four games. So you don't need a lot to go wrong in three other games for you to just nail the one game. Um, yeah. Game stacks are even more powerful on, you know, shorter four game slates like these. Yep. Yeah. And with the, like you said, with the path rates, pass rates we saw in week one, that's much more viable than we saw in the USFL where it's just, oh, yeah. you basically just had to have the right guy from every game and, and it's mm-hmm. much harder to game stack when it's like that. Yeah. I think, I think the leverage opportunities in XFL are just going to be, going to be way better, which should make DFS a lot more fun. Um, You know, it looks like the big tournament this week is going to overlay. So this is going to be an awesome week to just fire a ton of entries. Um, I am super excited for the slate of games, and I am very grateful for everyone who tuned in to the first ever Fantasy Points XFL breakdown. Uh, For myself, for Chris, for Sean behind the glass, thank you so much, guys, and I will see you at the top of the Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.